Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987. With Squidge, with Squidge, let's go back to 87 with Squidge. And you join us live right now, here, ready for the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective. We're wondering right now which way it's going to go. I'm joined as ever by my co-commentator, Mr. Will Owen. How are you doing, sir? Uh, hi, I'm I'm okay, thank you. I feel like if you're Nick Heath, I have to be like... I'm him. not Nick Heath. Oh, okay. No, sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. Oh, who are I you? Assume, I know why you'd assume that everyone is Nick Heath. Yeah. Because I want to do that all the time. Yeah. Because I sort of wish that most people I'm talking to are Nick Heath, because he is... Well, you said it, well, you join us live, and you said about commentary and stuff, so I thought that we were role-playing as Nick Heath and Mo Hunt, but I guess not. Are you, are you Mo Hunt? Well, I, I was trying to be all like, you know, pin bright and positive and stuff, but no, I'm not. Oh. But I wish I was, now you mention yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, never mind. That's fine. We don't have to. Be. I aspire to be Mohunt in both the sense of, you know, rugby punditry and everything, and also in terms of being a shithouse scrum off. In both those senses, I want to yeah, be Mohunt. Yeah, playing for England, you know. Oh, no, not that, but... I think it's a real shame. So, look, you join us here at the dog track. We are very, very ready to watch literally anything that isn't the game we're going to be covering today from 1987. Because I'm not going to lie to you, I've watched this game in the last two hours, and it is a steaming pile of shit. It's, it's, I don't really want to talk about I it. I hate to say this, but I think that this and Georgia Romania from 2011 are the two worst games we've covered on this podcast. Oh, I mean, I kind of put that game out of my mind, and I think of the England-Argentina game as the worst one. Yeah. Yeah. But at least that's the game we keep coming back to because it has something interesting. In Argentina, took about thirteen shots. Of yeah, the sure. There's something memorable. There's something memorable yeah. to that. Whereas Georgia Romania, there's Golgodze scores. Golgodze scores, and it's not even that that's exciting it. a try. Like, it's a bad, uninteresting try from one meter out. Yeah, exactly. And it's just literally like, oh, I'm Golgodze. I'm a bit stronger than the rest of you, so I'm going to score this try. You can't stop me. That um, was his entire career, to be fair. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> He had that written on his Montpellier contract. Yeah, yeah. But this... Those were his first words. Oh, God. Yeah. Wales against Ireland from 1987. And the thing is, like, we build this as some big... Oh, yeah, well, the Six yeah. Nations start soon and Wales are playing Ireland in the opening round. So let's have this as a big hype-up thing. And in a way, it works because we know that whatever game we got on Saturday, it's going to be a lot better than this. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I did think this whilst watching the game back that... At least we, we have, you know, when we looked at the fixtures and when we ended up taking a break up just before Christmas and so on. Yeah. Uh, we went like, oh, if we start at this time, we will line this up so we will do Wales Island the week leading into, like, the, the episode will go up the day before yeah. the actual match in this year's Six Nations, 2022 Six Nations. And that seemed like a really good idea. And it really still seems like a really good idea because we can talk about that game instead <laughs> of the 
this one yeah. from 1987. So another thing about this podcast was that we nearly got a guest on this episode. We mm. had a few people lined up and then eventually for logistical reasons in terms of the videos that are going up in the channel this week or have gone up in the channel uh, this week, we decided that it's best in terms of from yeah. t- time stipulations that we did this by ourselves. I am really glad we did that, especially oh, considering yeah. one of the guests we had written down was one Sam Lana, who we gave that England-Argentina game that you mentioned yes. from 2011. So I'm so glad that we didn't uh, I mean I, I mean this I mean this in the nice way possible I'm so glad we don't have Sam Lana joining us today because I'm glad we're not putting through 80 minutes of that shite again mind you the last time I saw Sam the last time I spoke to him with voices and that he did break my finger it's so, true and I'm sure it was more enjoyable than this game oh massively you know all the the time I had to spend going to I don't know if you ever mentioned when I had to go into like finger rehab um, have I mentioned that on this podcast? No, no, no. No, so, uh, thanks Amy Whitehouse. Uh, so I went to, oh, I've just got, that was an actual joke. That was that a was joke. What you're doing. Yeah. Fine, okay. I thought I was putting a link together, but I realised. Nah, no, no, I'm one step ahead of you, bro. I realised I am now every man on Twitter. <laughs> you are. Oh, by the so, way, while we're here, you making that joke about uh, Courtney Laws and um, the, the Duchess of, uh, of Cambridge, mm. and you saying she's filling in for Courtney Laws, and the guy who was like, "No, she's uh, she's not playing, <laughs> you idiot." That's great. Someone then replied saying, "I don't know that guy that you know." I then replied saying like, "No, she is. She's playing for England. I just didn't, didn't see the announcement. She's playing for England this weekend." And she's like, "No, what club would they play for? Because if they didn't." I- uh, and I was like, they play for England, I just told you. Yeah, like, yeah. Is this, a, this, this can't be a joke because jokes are funny. Oh, that's always a like, good one. Which actually isn't true. No, 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 no. Like, like, we, can, I think... we can get into the, the technicals of comedy, but, but being funny is not a prerequisite for something being a joke. I, th- I mean, anybody who listens to this podcast will know. We, we make a lot of jokes on here, and mm. they're not funny. Like, no. It, it, I Look, think the joke is often that it's not funny. I think we've done... We've done like 60 episodes of this podcast, right? Yeah. I reckon between them, there's about eight good jokes, and six of them were Tom Savage. Yeah, that's about accurate, yeah. The other two were Ben James. Yeah. Yeah, you, like, you've watched Limmy's show, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, really good sketch show. Mm. I, I'm sure that it's mainly... I don't know how big Limmy is outside the UK. I can't... I can only assume he's not known outside <laughs> of the Limmy UK. Is, Limmy is the second most difficult to explain to Americans British celebrity to the Chuckle Brothers. Oh, Christ. I never even thought of that. I've, I've not had to explain the Chuckle Brothers to people who don't know them before. Mm. Because in the UK, everyone knows them. And you're right, I can I can only imagine that's difficult. But you're right, Limmy, Limmy's show is a sketch show where pretty much every single time the punchline is either, oh, it's funny because he's Scottish, or it's funny because there's no joke. It's mostly, though, that he's Scottish. It'll mostly be there's no joke, and then it'll go, no, but he is Scottish. Yeah, 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 he's and that's got, kind of like the extra punchline. You get as a bonus he's got an afterwards. Incredibly Glasgow accent. Yes, and that is the entire joke. Yeah. Um and it's very good. It's um, great. Absolutely all for it. Yeah, it's worth looking up some Limmy show. Find out what's your hing. Yeah, yeah. It's better use of your time than watching this game. So <laughs> to mention this bloody rugby match that took place. Mm-hmm. These are the last two teams to play. All the other teams are played by now in the 1987 Rugby World Cup. These are the last two teams in the first tournament to make their World Cup debut. 
and boy was it worth the wait. There are four, I mean, just some... It's not often on this podcast we need to fail time. (laughs) Usually we're trying to, like, rush everything along. Can we, should we start with the teams? Yeah, go on then, let's do it. Let's Um, do it. That feels like the the wise way to go with this. We've got into this in record time. We have, yeah. You like the one time we need something else to talk about, we're struggling. We're on poor form today, lads. No, so uh, these two teams have played in the Six Nations or the Five Nations as it was at the time. Yeah, Josh Adams year. is playing centre. Mac Hansen starts on the wing. So they made quite a few changes from that game. Uh, Ireland won that game, which took place in Swansea, fifteen uh, eleven, okay. and then that was in April. Uh, this then takes place not that far later. Like that was the fourth of April. That game. This game was the twenty fourth of May. Yeah, not a, a lot of time passed. Later. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say that's a short turnaround. I mean, they've had a month off. But yeah, between World Cups. May's a strange time to host a World Cup, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, but it was sort of what they went, you know, I think it was because it was the end of the New Zealand season. Or the start yeah. Of, it was kind of their off season. Um, yeah. So it was the best time for them to host it, the most overlap. And then obviously they've since settled in September. It'll be an interesting thing as we're going through this to work out when they make that shift. And how sudden was it? How gradual was it? That is true, actually. That is true. But it's interesting because, like, I mean, there's a whole thing with the Qatar Football World Cup happening this year, which yeah. is in November, isn't it? So yeah, it's strange yeah. to think that this could still happen anytime soon, that we've still not entirely got it all figured out. When Qatar buy the Rugby World Cup, which could well happen. Who, look, Let's be who honest, knows? It yeah. could well happen. World yeah. Rugby, you know, they'll call it growing the game, but <laughs> they will line their pockets. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a win-win for everyone who doesn't have a problem with corruption and homophobia. So, Mm. um, not going to lie, I do. But one thing that someone doesn't have a problem with is the official WRU page and this game. In 2007, they decided to publish an article before each game ahead of the uh, 2007 Six Nations in which they would go over the like most famous, their favourite classic game between Wales and whoever they're playing at the time. Is this somebody's favourite classic game? The game they chose for Wales Island was, yes, this game in 1987. What? Like, I had a moment, so earlier today, so we're recording this on Thursday. Mm -hmm. As I say, two days before Wales play Ireland in the opening round of the Six Nations. And I saw a tweet by friend of the pod, Steph Grav, rock and roll, saying, I'm getting in the mood. I'm watching Wales Island from 2008, and I was like, oh boy, I'm so jealous of you. I was so, so tempted to just reply with a screenshot, just like, I wish I was you, with the, the 1987 it's game. funny you should mention that, because I sent him exactly that. Did um, you? Yep. Oh and my god! He said that 2008 was actually far worse than he remembers, and quite hard to watch. Really? Uh, yeah, and I was like, mate, you know absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. You see well, nothing the... in comparison. Then he he said that uh, he could imagine it would be fun doing that in his heaven for a game or two, but it's insane that we decided to do all of it. <laughs> He's not wrong. He's not mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah, and look, we'll we'll probably get him on at some point in the course of the tournament, so he can he can live that that short bit of fun for the one game or whatever. But yeah, I I do seem to recall the last time I saw Wales Island in two thousand and eight was after Judgment Day in twenty fifteen. Mm. I went to that to that when. The Scarlets played the Dragons, I think, and the Blues played the Ospreys. Mm. And I can remember after that going to the Gatekeeper in Cardiff on Westgate yep. Street, 
good good spoons that is. I, I like that pub. Sure, yeah. It's it's quite nice. You know, as far as Cardiff weather spoons go. I once had uh, slow service on a Cardiff City match day to get um one Sal- San Pellegrino while ever all the Cardiff City fans were having all day breakfasts. But look, I can't complain. I once in the other one that's a minute's walk away, the other yes. weather spoons. Um, yes. I I've got the Prince the, of Wales. Prince of Wales. Yes. Um, nice. Nice. Excellent work. Excellent knowledge of pubs in Cardiff. For two people who don't go to Cardiff very often, that was that was good. I was once ordering a pizza in there with friend of the pod, Adam Jenkins. Oh, yeah. Because the app was down because it was busy because it was like... It was the evening after Wales had played Tonga, I believe, in the Autumn Internationals. Yes. And um, and Reese Patchell hit a kid with a ball. Yes, which is what that game should be remembered for, correctly. Yeah. And the guy behind the bar went, I know you, did we go to uni together? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I'm sorry we didn't. And he then ran through, like, do you go to this school? Do you go to this? Do you go to that? And I, like, I didn't want to be a dickhead, but I then had to go, like, so I, d- I do this YouTube channel, it might be that. And mm. he was like, you're bloody Squid Rugby, aren't you? Oh, man. And he got it. But, like, I felt like such a prick for going, like, sure. Yeah. Actually, you know, it might be, might be this. You know, it yeah, might be that yeah. I don't you know who I am. Yeah. Uh, it didn't, didn't give me, like, any. Thing off my food, but there we go. It's Weatherspoons anyway, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I stood at the I stood at the bar of that, just casually watching Shane Williams score that try where he panders off Andrew Trimble, which is the only thing that happened in that game as far as I can remember. So I can imagine it was quite a boring experience. And I just remember there was a Dragons fan stood next to me, and I was just kind of having to console him, like, well, at least Hallam Amos is good. Did they just have that playing again? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They just uh, had it playing. I have a feeling it was. I have a feeling it was on a loop as well. Uh, but it's just like, well, it's after Judgment Day, so naturally yeah, it's going to be full of rugby fans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was something something like that. It's what it must the have YouTube been. era has really taken from us, you know. Like obviously, I couldn't have done what I do now in the era where you had to publish it on DVDs. But yeah. you won't have DVDs you can just put on on repeat of the 2021 Wales Six Nations win, will you? No, no, that's true. You know when that inevitably happens. Yeah, yeah. When Wales yeah. win every game three 0 Hang on. What what do you mean Wales won the twenty twenty one Six Nations? They're terrible in my opinion. That 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 did clearly didn't happen. Well, I mean, it was all pretty much down to that line out that Kate Middleton lost against England later on. Of course, of course. You know, it's a real problem for them there. It's, it's just Eddie's mind games picking her. Or oh, it's the sort of thing you'd do according to some YouTube comments. <laughs> so we said we we're going to introduce the teams. Yes. Right. This is more like it, though. I think I think we're we're managing wanna, to chat more shit now. So do this you want to start with Wales or Ireland? Should we start with Wales? Because I think we're more familiar with with Wales. I think when you look at these two teams, there are more famous players to this day from the Welsh team. I would agree with that. But I don't know if that's not... just because we've grown up knowing those players. I, th- I imagine that does play a part in it. But I think there is right. There are three players in that Welsh backline who have incredibly iconic moments that That's are well-known That's true, actually. And, like, have played British and Irish Lions and stuff. And then, obviously, the likes of Robert Jones, Bob Norster, and the Moriarty brothers are well-remembered within Wales. Yes. Whereas, I do think, you then have in the Welsh back lines, well, you have Yoyan Evans, Merlin the Magician, couldn't do it any better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have Paul Forbund, what boot he's given it. Yes. And then you have Jiffy. <laughs> you, have, you have Jiffy, who goes... everything. Yeah. Numbers. You have Jiffy... You have Jiffy who says, oh, well, if you, they stand wider, it means that the defence have to then stand wider and that makes bigger gaps. He's the guy who said that in 2021. You also have Mark Ring, who back in the day when he used to play rugby rather than posting on Twitter that no one throws dummies anymore. <laughs> yes! <laughs> well, the, 
There's a great point with Mark Ring where he makes this break about five minutes into the game where he throws a really nice dummy and then the, he's just got the fullback to meet and he tries dummying past him again but that's yeah. just because he wants to go the whole way. And it's that thing of like, I remember when, because I, I grew up with watching James Hook playing 10 for Wales in the 2008 mm. Six Nations and his trademark was if you didn't mark him properly, he was very good at throwing a dummy and go and just diving over from short range. The amount of times he scored those tries for the Ospreys in Wales, yeah. you lose count, don't you? And so I just had it in my head, because I was like 11, that if you throw a dummy, the defender will just main, mainly fall for it, like nine times out of ten. So like I just remember when I first started playing rugby, I just thought like, oh, why don't you just throw a dummy? It's just a good, the easiest way to beat a defender, without thinking <laughs> of the fact that they don't, they're not obliged to fall for it unless it's 1987. Or rugby challenge. Or rugby challenge, yes. But you're like, right. That dummy that Mark Rings throws... I did like write down like it, it is so good. He has entitled himself to just like complain about oh, yeah, yeah. Twitter for at least eighteen years. Like, yeah. unfortunately, Twitter won't be invented for another twenty years after. Yes. but you know, still he does have a great dummy on him because it's really like enthusiastic. Like he loops the ball all the way around his body as he throws it. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. it's satisfying to watch when it works because all of it is very. No one would ever throw a pass like that. So if they're yeah. throwing a pass like that. If they're doing that, they're definitely throwing a pass. I know exactly what you mean. And what the thing that's funny about it is that he really gambles with it because Mm. throwing a dummy like that means that if the guy doesn't fall for it, you're like fair dues. My rib cage is open. You can crunch me now. It's what I deserve. And I think that's 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 a good point of rugby values from Mark Ring that he he accepts his losses. I absolutely agree, and I think it's a you know real real testament to his ability. Uh, also yeah. in the back line, we have Adrian Hadley, who famously scored two tries against yeah. uh, England. Good player. Yeah. Yeah, but he's, rem- again, someone that's remembered for one moment that is less famous outside of Wales. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And then we've always picked up on lots of fathers of current players. Yeah. We have in this team, I mean, the most famous, the most notable example is both Paul and Richard Moriarty are playing. Richard yes. Moriarty's captain. Uh, yeah. The father and uncle of Ross Moriarty. Richard is Ross's dad, right? Yeah. I was really hoping you wouldn't ask me this. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, the thing is that those two players are so synonymous that it's really easy to get caught, uh, you know, to mix the two of them up. Paul is his Paul is his Paul is, Paul is, is what, Ross's I, what I was going to guess, but then you said it with such confidence that it okay. was shit. <laughs> Look, it's just how I blag this podcast, Look, it's man. It's just one real, real family unit of sheer... Concrete. I, sure, I was just going to go with destruction just like yeah. death yeah that too you know, murder murder yeah. mostly yeah i imagine did a lot of that in their spare time so yeah so the welsh pack kind of is less well known bob norse is in there who's one of those players always comes up in all-time welsh 15s because apparently he was as good a set-piece operator as you got in 1987 <laughs> uh and was just hard we can come on to the wales line out later but i think it was slightly more functional than a lot of the others were seen in this tournament. sure yeah there's the other, just also on kind of fathers and so on. We have Kevin Phillips and Yayan Evans, who both have sons who play at the Ospreys or played until very recently at the Ospreys yes. in Ifan and Kai. Yes. I was going to pick up on this because every single time Ifan Phillips played, the commentators would always say, oh yeah, did you know that his dad, Kevin, played for Neath and for Wales uh, in the 80s? And it's just like, I didn't the first time they said that. But... Mm. 
when they were saying it literally every single time he played. So I, I literally have written down on the, on the team sheet I've written here. Did you know his son Ethan played for the Ospreys and should have played for Wales and would have played for Wales? Yeah, it's a real, real shame what happened. With yeah, him. yeah. Uh, but excellent player, Ethan Phillips. Yes. Phenomenal club player at the Ospreys. And as I say, should have had Wales caps for my liking. But yes. So it's, it, I just reached that point every time Kevin Phillips did anything where I was just writing my notes. Did you know his son, Ethan, uh, played for the Ospreys? Just to give him the same treatment that his son was eventually <laughs> going to get. Um, should we look at the Ireland team? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So yeah. Ireland named the... Well, name a team with only two changes from the team that played in the Six Nations. Well, oh, okay. quite a few more. Yeah. The two changes are at hooker. Harry Haberson started during the Five Nations, but in from comes Terry Kingston. Test debut for Kingston? Yep. So there was an injury to Haberson right before the tournament. He got injured about the day before they were due to fly out. Oh, okay. Oh, that sucks, man. Yeah, that's really, really rough on him. So yeah, they end up with debutant in a hooker. Yeah, and Derek McGrath comes in on the flank for Nigel Carr, which look I enjoy any replacement that rhymes. Yes, exactly. Rhyming couple. Hey, more coaches should do that. Man. Yeah, but bring in a rhyming name. One other change on the team sheet, right? And I think this is a dick of the day contender Ooh, on the team sheet already. Go on. In the Six Nations, Willie Anderson, who on the team sheet I saw as W Anderson, did think, is it Wes? Is Wes Anderson playing for Ireland? <laughs> no, Willie Anderson's like a, a legendary Irish forward. Yeah, and he always has to stand very much in the middle of the line-out. Bill Murray is always his line-out partner. You know, he's always been missed by Willem Dafoe as well. Uh, no, so Willie Anderson and Donald Lenehan, right? In the Six Nations, Lenehan wore four and Anderson wore five. In the World Cup, Anderson wore five and Lenehan wore four. So they swapped? They swapped shirt numbers from the Six Nations. That's suspicious. I don't like it. That's, that Why makes me I? really uncomfortable. Why would you do that? Yeah. Like, do you not care about loose head and tight head locks? Or did you just decide we're better off the other way around? Look, we need to, need to split. What do you think? They flew to New Zealand. They were like, oh no, we're upside down compared to where we are normally because we're on the other side of the world. We've got to wear the opposite shirt numbers to say the same way around. Look, it might be the case, I, th- I think. Is it? Yeah, because they, like, they know the image is being flipped. It's like how Ant and Deck, one of them's always stood on the left, one of them's always stood on the right. Ant and Deck, another two British celebrities who are really hard to explain to Americans. Yes. Their former Geordie rappers turned, children's TV presenters turned to the most they were loved rappers? people in the world. They were rappers at one point. They were actors, uh, and then they were rappers, and then they were... It's Ant and Deck. They're just... They are yeah. just cheeky Geordie fellas. Yeah. And... And their they national treasures. TV. Yep. And they win a BAFTA every single... Was it Brit Award every single year? Yes. Yeah, yeah. They win the same award for best presenters. And they win it for like... And they're always treated as one row. person as well. Like yes. everywhere they go. Like if they go on chat shows, they have to do it together. Like other than there was a point where one of them, I think I think it was, uh, I think it was Deck was Deck going through... for drink driving. Right, okay, yeah. And, and it was and going for a rehab. And show on his own. Rehab. And it was yeah, it was mad. so weird. And what was that about? When they did I'm a Celebrity with Holly Willoughby. Mm. And it was just like, don't get me wrong, it's great because Holly Willoughby's great. But also... I can't see one of Anton Deck without the other one. And like they did Desert yeah. Island Discs together. Yes, really. And there's a shared oh. list, yeah. And so at the end of Desert Island Discs, when you get asked, like, oh, yeah, what luxury would you bring with you? They were kind of like, well, obviously it's each other, but do we get a different yeah. one? Do we go on the, the Desert Island together? Because I think we'd be all right. 
it blows my brain that they're both married to other people. Yes, like I assume they that they literally spent. Wives. Yeah, like I, I imagine them being like Father Ted and Dougal and yeah. having like beds next like, to each sh- other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the same room. Yeah, I've never contemplated until now that Ant and Deck don't share a bed, and that's really uncomfortable for me. British TV presenter fifteen, where Ant and Deck playing? Oh, oh, okay. Because I think decks are nine, but and I then think... Ant would have to play ten. See, no, because I think I've got to play in the centre together because they've got a kind of telepathic understanding. Uh, the problem is they can't run a switch because they were stand on one side of each other. <laughs> but really, I think they should be playing six and seven. Oh, they probably and they're not should. Not build for it, but I think they'd work really well as a pair of flankers. And the left and right flanker, not open a blind. Yeah, 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 like French style. Yes, but it begs the question: Who plays number eight? Because Gofie was at 10. Willoughby's playing 8, clearly. No, 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 no. Willoughby is 9 and Schofield is 10. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. They have to go together as well. Yeah, because Schofield obviously 10 and Willoughby is like, sent, you know, Willoughby has like an air of karma baller, but is willing mm. to pick up the tempo a bit and be a bit cheeky and snipey. So I sure. think she's perfect. Yeah. I'm not sure who the number 8 is. Hugh oh. Edwards is a hooker, obviously. Yes. Yeah. And a big Scarlet's fan, so you know he's involved. He can probably captain the team. Elder Statesman as well. Yeah, yeah. Jon Snow, veteran fullback. Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, maybe maybe um maybe Eamon Holmes at number eight. That's a good shout. I was thinking tight head for him. Oh, I think he's an eight. I think he's an old school eight. Okay, okay, okay. Uh Richard Osman second row, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and can you partner Greg Davis, please? I know he's a comedian. Yes. But We're having he hosts Davidson. Taskmaster and never mind the Buzzcocks, so counts. he counts. counts. So it's Richard Osman and Oh Greg my Davis god, imagine those Come two on. together. So I still think Eamon Home goes into the tight head. Do you think he'd be a good eight? I think there are fewer and fewer loose head contenders. Like if you go back in time, there are quite a lot of people on British TV who could easily be loose heads. And they're slowly disappearing, I think. Sure, yeah. I'll tell you who'd be a fantastic, like disruptive ball carrier go like on really good scrummager I would back Alison Hannigan okay okay sure sure so is I she going eight that's that's her from Good Morning Britain rather than the one from American Pie isn't it because I get the name I th- very similar when game. you said the name I thought Good Morning Britain so if you okay. made the mistake so have I uh, Jonathan Ross at 12 he's one of those 12s who Ooh. looks like they should be playing in the pack but fancies himself as a back a little bit but doesn't do anything too flash 13 I think okay, maybe 13. thirteen. Yeah, we'll compromise on that then. We'll go thirteen. Okay, for for Wassy. We've basically um, done the full team at this point. Yep, we're very close. We need wingers and a twelve. Uh, um, I'm saying Dermot O'Leary left wing. Yes, good shout. Good shout. Doesn't score many tries, but really good technician of a player. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. does his best. Yeah, he wouldn't he's let not, you down, would he? They're nothing alike, but he's a key fails type player. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. they look nothing like they've got, not got similar energy at all. But he's that kind of like just really sound, really solid. Does everything correctly. Doesn't necessarily score a lot of tries. Isn't necessarily the quickest player, but very, very good. Yeah. Graham Norton is cover nine. He's the bench nine. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's play coach. Is Graham Norton? Yeah. Well, Graham Norton comes on with twenty minutes to go and is just cheeky and a bit of a shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've all played with or against one of those players. Yeah. He's a bit tipsy, and we know that for a fact now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I feel like we're so, so close to finishing this that we kind of have to, but... So, I feel like Alexander Armstrong might be a decent 12. Not a bad shot. I was thinking fullback who is shaft- shafted onto the wing for the sake of convenience. 
Hmm. I feel like there's got to be someone with like out and out pace. Someone we're missing who's just like a very clear winger. I'm going to say, right, former athletes don't count, so we can't have Jermaine Genus on the wing or anything. Okay. Oh, damn it. That would have been great if we could just put Ugo Monya on the wing. <laughs> Tell you what, uh, Matt Baker at 14. Okay. He's a 14, not an 11. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Useless in the backfield, but sound yeah. otherwise. I just, I don't think Alex Jones would make it at this level. No, she she can be uh, she can run on the oranges. Yeah, I just I don't think she's got the temperament for it. You know, she's very good at what she does. I don't think she'd make it in the top yeah. five rugby environment yeah. that we've created here. Yeah, yeah. I think we've probably carried on with this for far too long. We've spent more time on that team than the Irish team. Oh shit! Yeah, let's get back to the Irish team. So tighter prop. They've got Des Fitzgerald, Luke's dad. Yes, which is pretty cool. So there was a point where I'd noted down sort of the surnames of the players because of at the start when they bring up the team sheet. But I didn't realise until 20 minutes into the game, after he got repeatedly stamped on in the face by Paul Moriarty, that (laughs) Philip Matthews was playing in the back row for for Ireland, the ex-commentator who would just come on and just be biased to Ireland. So, in a sense, he's Jiffy's opposite number. Yes. But that was the thing about Philip Matthews as a commentator, was I never knew who he was. And I always be really confused by the fact, like, who are you? I've not heard out. his name in a few years. No, he sort of disappeared, didn't he? Yeah. And and as you say, like, he's just, he's just turned up. I was like, oh, my God, he played for Ireland. I just kind of assumed he'd never played rugby before. Yeah, I mean, and you could get that impression from... Not that his people. commentary was, like, that spectacularly bad or anything. Like, he was just very much in the mould of, I care about Ireland. Yeah, yeah. And as I say, look, at the time, I was forgiving Jiffy for being one-eyed. There's yeah. a lot of one-eyed stuff going on. Exactly. As anyone who has watched my videos knows, I really hate Ireland. Yeah. And this is something I've been told so often that I've started to believe it. <laughs> so Philip Matthews retired in 1992, so then had a commentary career, presumably for about 20 years, which is, you know, solid innings by him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we also have Michael Bradley, the yeah. recently fired Zebra coach. I, another guy I just did not know played international rugby. Me neither. I had no idea. I wouldn't have guessed uh, he was a scrum half as well. He but... was the only player in that Irish backline I'd heard of prior to this. Me too. Me too. But I'm looking through it. And other than, well, I mean, Paul Dean at 10, I get really bad vibes off. Why? There's something about him. And I don't want to say anything that could get me sued. But I just get really, really bad vibes off him. Okay. Like I've met people that I've got similar vibes off. Like, instantly. And I've usually turned out to be correct that they will do or say something really dangerous. And I got those vibes off Paul Dean. I didn't get that. I actually thought he played quite well, Paul Dean. I thought he played quite well. I thought he played solidly. But this is nothing to do with rugby ability. Um, Yeah. Who are you? Les Kiss. Mm. I get get bad vibes off him constantly. Yeah. Other than him, all the rest of that backline do kind of give off these are prototypes of the Leinster Academy vibes. <laughs> you are right. They could. I mean, like Hugo McNeil at fullback. Hugh, like, yeah, he could be playing and now. Because the commentators say at the start, this is maybe the best backline Ireland have ever produced. And it's just like you used to have Mike Gibson and Jackie Kyle. Like, I have to say, like Jackie Kyle was a word, <laughs> but no, Trevor Ringland. Boy, what he an genuinely. 
I looked at him and just thought, like, I, I, I genuinely about half a second where I thought that I was playing on Rugby Challenge on an unbranded Leinster team where they had Gary Ringrose's uh, uh, doppelganger, <laughs> Trevor yeah. Ringland, playing on the wing. I don't believe any of these players are... Re- like, again, Brendan Mullen is Brendan Mackenberg. Yes, licensed. absolutely. All of these players are unlicensed. Keith Crossan is Keith Earls. Yeah, all they're from that list of made-up Leinster players I did last week. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which is really timely, looking at this team. Uh, sorry if there's any Irish listeners who are, like have deep attachments to these players. Sorry if Michael Keenan is listening. Yeah, yeah. And so- uh, so- even more sorry if Michael Keenan was actually world-class. Yes. But, no, because that's the thing. They, they were really celebrated, this Irish back line. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd, you know, it was coming out of quite a dark period for Irish rugby in yeah. the early 80s. It was also a similar thing for Wales. Like, they talk at the end about how Wales hadn't won the Six Nations in seven whole years, which seems a very long time at the time. But this is like a young team who are rebuilding and could challenge for it in a few years' time. We'd have to wait another 18, but, you know, <laughs> quite a long rebuild. But yes, so there is, you know, some stuff happening in those two teams. Lots, lots of made-up players that aren't real. Yes. Should we get to the game itself? Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, no, let's get to the teams running out. Okay. Because I think the most interesting thing happens as the two teams run out. Does it now? Of the entire I game. don't know what you're about to mention. Did you skip this? Did you skip the teams running out? I didn't skip the teams running out. I watched the whole intro and everything with the, the, the guy, uh, from the presenter. So... A guy, the two teams run out onto the pitch, and alongside them comes a Welsh fan, right? Okay. A Welsh fan runs out onto the pitch, holding a massive leak. Not like oh. a fake leak, like a, just a really big... Oh, Did you not see this? I also saw there was, there was a dragon, a, a, yes. a, like so, a toy well, dragon yes, on the yeah. sideline, wasn't it? So, yeah, so the Welsh have like a toy dragon on the, dragon on the sideline, as like the lions do, the wallabies do, you know, on the sideline, whatever. One of the players comes over and puts it in the middle of the pitch, like on the spot where the kickoff will be taken. But... Meanwhile, as he's doing that, in the middle of the pitch is a Welsh fan in a Welsh jersey, so he looks like he blends in, with a really big leak. Like, I'm not talking like a fake leak, like an inflatable leak, a toy leak or anything. It's just, it's an actual leak, which happens to be a big boy, you know, like a well-grown, like, like curse the were-rabbit <laughs> shit. And he's planting it in the middle of the pitch. What? So I watched a different version which doesn't have this on it, which cuts that off. Right. So let me, let me have a look now. Keep, keep, keep describing okay, so- this. Yes, so he is. He goes to plant the leak in the middle of the pitch, and as he's oh doing my god, so, you're right, falling over and falling out <laughs> of the halfway line. He starts like praying to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, then the leak falls over. He plants the leak in the middle of the pitch on the halfway line, on the spot where the kickoff alongside die the dragon. The leak stands up for a moment, then it falls over. Yeah, then he starts doing like big theatrical like praying, like his arms in the air and leaning down to it. The leak falls over. He goes to prop it back up. At which point, someone brings the dragon over to him, puts it down. One of the players goes, brings like, the dragon over. Yeah, and he goes and like tries to balance the dragon and the leak together. Uh, the commentators say something about how he's doing this sort of bring uh, good luck and good fortune to the Welsh team, as though this is traditional, as though this is like South Island teams doing their war dances. Okay. This is just something the Welsh teams do. But then by the time we get to the Irish team running out, he's gone. There's no signs of him on the pitch you're, anymore. You're right. So That's I've so got no crazy. idea what happened to this guy or the leak that he repeatedly tries to stamp into the floor and plant there. Just don't mind me... Uh, amending my dick of the day notes uh, and also man of the match notes I think uh, die the dragon is is in contention so yeah so we have a guy who tries to plant a leak on the halfway line which is the new dog on the pitch 
It's the next closest thing we've had so far, isn't it? But yeah. the, the thing is, and I'm sure you've had this realisation as well, that kid's probably now in his 40s or 50s. So oh, It looks like a guy about 20 years old. It's not a kid. It's not, it's a, not child. a kid. Not a it's, kid. It looks like an adult. It looks like a like a young man. We need to find this guy. We need to find out who young he is. Lad. Like, <laughs> like Chris Corcoran went and interviewed the guy who screamed Jenkins. Yes. At Wales England nineteen ninety nine. If he can do that, we can we can find this fella with the leak because this is suspect. Oh, it's but not a child, a yeah. Child. Also, Die the Dragon falls over at the same time as the League, which feels like a massive metaphor. <laughs> I've just clocked that the dragon is already lay horizontally on the yeah. halfway line, just like five metres further along. And one of the players breaks his like, stride to got, go pick him up and give it to him. He's got a bobble hat and a Welsh flag on, but he's also got another leak round his neck. <laughs> he so he's got a leak that he's trying to plant in the ground, a leak round his neck, a scarf round his, round his neck, a Welsh bobble hat on, a Welsh like red jumper over his shirt, then just like jeans, as well as Die the Dragon and two leaks. Right, this guy is the Welshest man in the world, and we know what that means. It's Ken Owens. It must be. It can only be Ken Owens, who was born the year of this game. Look, he's ageless he about, though, isn't he? He was about five months old at this point, so it tracks from being about that size. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that really checks out. It is Ken Owens. That's canon now. League Congratulations boy. to Ken Owens, the league boy. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be confused, Jerry Jerry Collins, the league boy, for that time he took a piss on the pitch. <laughs> it's such a shame we never get to cover that game. Yeah. Although, wasn't that a World Cup game? He did it in Super Rugby for the Hurricanes. Oh, was it? Oh, never mind. Never mind. That's a shame. Well, maybe we will cover that game just for that. <laughs> um, because dick of the day, right? So yeah, should we get to kick-off? Yeah. Cool. So... Oh, I mean, we you know, the Irish don't have an anthem, so they just sing a song that they like. <laughs> really? The team just picked a song before the game that they then sing instead of an anthem, because obviously, you know, Ireland being two nations, don't have an official national anthem, and they hadn't appointed the team anthem as Ireland's call or anything by this point. Oh, right, okay. I mean, the Joshua Tree was popular this year. Yeah. You know, that had just come out, so could could have could have sung I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Great tune. <laughs> so, yeah. Onto the kickoff, yeah? Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, no, I want to mention first the referee. Yes. So the commentator says, of course, the referee has the an Irish name, and I figure it's going to be, like, you know, something fairly innocuous. But no, it's Kerry Fitzgerald, which is more Irish a name than anyone in the Irish team. Yeah. That's not an exaggeration. He also sounds like he's been plucked from Leinster's Academy. Yep. He has been randomly generated and he's going to be playing for Connacht in three seasons' time. <laughs> yes, you're right, you're right. Imagine that happening now with all the fuss over Alan Rowland, because yeah. his name was spelt slightly differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, JP Doyle, of course, refereed Ireland. Yes. A few years I mean, back. Luke Pier- I've met Luke Pierce's family, and they are so Welsh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he gets a referee Wales every year. Yeah, but he's he's a great referee, so, you know, mm-hmm. is what it is. Uh, but yes... Finally on to kickoff. Yeah. We've done well to drag this out, but sadly, inevitably, we have to talk about the game. So the first things, the first couple of things I've written down are that Jiffy does a really good kick to start with to gain a bit of territory where he lands sure. it just next to the touchline. And then he drops an intercept, uh, which wasn't quite a deliberate knock-on, I think. It's a very nicely taken, very nicely worked move and a very almost really well-read intercept. Yes, it's an actual moment of quality breaking out at the start of this game. Yeah, yeah. 
Because Ireland have a decent few passages of play. I think the annoying mm. thing is that, once again, as we say so many times with these teams in this World Cup, that they throw that extra pass, which they shouldn't have, which and makes it difficult. You know what? There's just so much not catching. Yeah. And like, obviously, the the threat of being flattened by Bob Norster is greater than I would get playing touch rugby or so on. But I find that I catch passes akin to that quite easily. Yeah, right. So why can't someone playing for their country in the World Cup? Yes, exactly. You know, exactly. And normally, like, all the Christian players are yeah. entirely, like, based on the fact that, like, they are all better than me by a long, long distance. Yeah. When I talk about the handling in this World Cup, I don't think I'm being harsh. No, 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 I agree. You know, like, I agree. I, I, I feel like I am of a better standard of, like, simple catch and give yeah. than a lot of the players we're watching. I'm at least at a similar standard. I would say. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, but saying, I would say that, like... i Jiffy or Mark Ring. I would say but... that the guys I play with or the guys I coach are all better than this. Yeah. Because, you know, they actually catch off their chests and can de- deliver a decent pass. And a lot, of, a lot of these guys just simply can't, which is, yeah, concerning, concerning. There's so many passages in the first half in particular where both teams, actually, but it's mostly Ireland will run two passes, they'll start to see the space, then the, the guy that is in the space will drop the ball. Yeah. And yeah. it's so frustrating and so boring. Because after it a while you'll be like, oh, this is just going to happen every single time. Yeah. And it does. Every time there's any space, the player that should be running into it just either takes a right off it, they're still too flat, whatever, and they just drop the ball. Do you know who pissed me off most in this game? Who? Jiffy. Every single time he catches the ball... His first instinct is to see what's on for himself. Mm. And there's so many times where he chips for himself to chase or yes. does grubbers, especially when they get into good field position and there's or goes for drop goals or whatever. And there's there's so many times where he would have just been better off trusting Mark Ring or John Devereaux, bless him, had quite a good game, but was just really not trusted with the ball from Jiffy. Other than John Devereaux has a chaotic and horrible three minutes in the second half. He does, that, he, he does. Yes. Yeah. Jiffy has, and it's really vis- like um, really evident in this game, he has an incredible vision of what's in front of him and he can see absolutely everything very, very quickly yeah. in a way that is legitimately incredibly impressive. Yeah, genuinely. When you, especially when you put him next to like... And he is a, of this undoubtedly era. a great talent. And you see Ball why the entire way through the game, yeah. uh, I think they describe him as a rock star twice. Right. Um, like he is hyped up so much by the commentators. Sure, here. yeah. This is the superstar of the game in the minute. This is the biggest star in the British Isles at the minute. Yeah. This guy is huge. He is. Uh, they mentioned that uh, one pundit in Wales recently described him as being better than Barry John. All of this. Because he does have this incredible vision of what's in front of him. Yes. But he never looks outside him. No. Like he's he's again, rarely looking at the rest of the defensive line. He's, he's a great highlight reel player, isn't he? He's, sure. And in this game, the second half, he has a very, very good second half. And we'll get yeah. to that. But he has it because he's looking up and spotting a lot of space behind. Sure, yeah. Uh, and and I wouldn't say very, very good, but he has ve- some very good moments. He has a... Relative to what we're watching, yes. he has a pretty good. Like, you know that half. that try, that famous Jiffy try where he just dribbles the ball for about eighty the meters Scotland around. One. Yes. Oh no. Okay. No, no. It's against the All Blacks, I think, where yeah. he just basically dribbles the ball around the defense for like eighty odd meters. I don't. He might have scored it in league, but I think it was Union. But it's just like no wonder that try paid off eventually because looking at this game, he tries that so many times and it doesn't work. Yeah. So it really, really frustrated He's, me his again, game management yeah, the or like thereof. Famous try he scored against Scotland. He goes yeah. for that about three times this game. Yes, yeah. It's it's a difficult watch at times because 
Like, Jiffy is a phenomenal talent, but I don't think he knows much about rugby, uh, as his <laughs> punditry shows. I mean, I think Adrian Hadley is a contender, though, for the least money ball player in this World Cup so far. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has two separate moments where he goes to take someone on the outside, does a kick, and the kick either, in one case, goes straight into touch. The other case, it misses his boot and he knocks it on. Yes, yes, I did see that. This... And he's just like, Adrian Hadley has absolutely no care for looking after the ball whatsoever. No. And like, there's one point as well where one of the Welsh players kicks it. It deflects off one of the Irish players who's near the touchline. And Hadley then kicks it into touch further along. He just that guy does not give a shit about possession. No, 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 no. There's so many. It's just such a theme with wingers that they just don't really care for the ball that much. Yeah, they'd rather kick it out or whatever. And like Yian Evans has a couple of opportunities where he tries kicking it, doesn't quite come off for him. But I could see what he was going for on a lot of those, and he clearly liked mm. to keep the ball alive and stuff. But yeah, as I say, it was a bit frustrating watching Jiffy. And when I say he didn't know much about rugby, I think he knew a lot about rugby in the 80s, but obviously yeah, yeah. Uh, watching this retrospectively, uh, as we do on this podcast, um, it, it got quite frustrating. It's a pretty good Jiffy. Name for the podcast, we should write that down. Um, so th- we also have Paul Forborn at fullback. Paul, yes. give him his full name. Paul, what a belt he's given it. For Paul Absolutely. Bonner, who, that kick comes up every time he touches the ball. Yeah. As, as you'd expect. Because yeah. he is a man famous for one of two things, and the other thing he doesn't do until the end of this World Cup. So, at this point, he was famous for one thing, which was that kick against Scotland, and what yes. a belt he did give it. What a great bit of commentary that is. That is one of Bill McLean's finest moments. This would be a monster. It's incredible and iconic, and no one else could have done it. Yeah. So that comes up constantly. And... You get the sense. You know, like last year when Antoine Dupont bought his own hype a bit and started trying things that weren't on mm-hmm. the time of Six Nations. Paul Forborn is like that. He yeah. thinks he's bloody super boot, and he ain't super boot. I had this thought. Uh, I just, I, I wrote down when he went for that first shot of go- shot at goal, I just wrote down, like, he goes for the super boot. So his first touch of the game, he catches the ball about 20, 25 metres out from his own goal line. Yeah. And he runs backwards three metres, so he's over the 22, so he can then kick it forwards. And he is kicking into the wind at this point, and we'll get onto the wind, because there's a very yeah, heavy wind. That has definitely got a big influence, yeah. And obviously it makes it to about, you know, 35 metres out. And if he had run forwards five metres, he would have made the ground that he kicks it away. Yeah. But he's so... And he promised, like, oh, we're going to get to see his huge boot of Paul Forborn. Here we go. He once did a kick. And this is my favourite I wrote this down. Uh, I said, there's huge wind here. He did that kick in Cardiff, where they don't have wind. <laughs> Anyone who has been to Cardiff uh, knows that that is correct. Yeah. Uh, that Those two weather spoons, you couldn't blow between them. You know? No. If you, you try to fly a kite in Cardiff, you're done. Yeah, yeah. You, you couldn't you're get done. a feather from one spoon to the other, could you? No. No, or McGraw, especially. Why did you have to bring him up? You put me in a bad mood now, man. Sorry. If you you should you should try and smile because the way your face is, if there's a strong gust of wind, uh, it would blow it. It wouldn't be able to blow it to be. I forgot what that phrase is. Yeah, something about the wind changes. It'll fix your face or something. Yeah, yeah, that. You know. Yeah, that. Good. There's no wind in Cardiff. No. No. So you don't have to worry about that. Do you think that's why Ken Owens was in New Zealand because he wanted to plant his leak somewhere and he was worried that without any wind it wouldn't be ideal farming conditions for his leeks. So he came to New Zealand to try and plant them on the middle of the fields. 
I th- I think it's 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 highly possible because I think that mm. he at this point he didn't know he was going to be a professional rugby player, let alone hold the yeah, cap but we knew, Wales. didn't we? Yeah, yeah, uh, but we knew he was going to play hooker for the Scarlets. But look, he he just he all he knew was he had to set up his life in West Wales. And... The only question mark was would he be a professional or an amateur player when he played for Wales? It's true. We were we were pre-professionalism at this point, weren't we? So yeah, Jiffy also runs backwards at one point then goes for a grubber that would be a smart grubber if he hadn't run backwards and therefore only gained two metres with a kick. Yes, yeah. There's there's a couple of moments like that. There's there's a great Michael Bradley one we'll come on to later. There's a point where one of the Irish props kicks the ball out of Rob, uh, Rob Jones's hand as he's putting, the, putting it into a scrum, which is very impressive because it's a really hard angle to, to kind of bend oh, your foot round from. The commentators talk about how old both Philip Orr and Des Fitzgerald, the Irish props, are. How it's unusual because both of them are over 30. Really? And the commentator says, in my day, props were finished by 30. And I say, but now, now it's the other way around. Longer. Now it's very much the other way around. Yeah. You consider a props career doesn't really start until about 25, 26. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're 25, you're young for a prop. And that's especially interesting at amateur level because if anyone's ever played vets rugby, yep. most of the team are props. The guys who are <laughs> over 35 who are playing, yeah, there's not a large queue to play at scrum half or on the wing. In Vets Rugby, you can say that much. That's that's really surprising. As, as I say, mm. especially at this point when it was amateurism, and if a player was 40 and still your best option, look at Hugo Porter, then, you know, they'd, they'd go for you. That's very surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I want to mention as well, obviously, Paul Dean we mentioned in the Irish team. This was the last game before Jonathan Sexton made his debut in Frenchette <laughs> for Ireland. <laughs> or at least Ren Nogara. Oh, no, at one point, Paul Dean tries to thread a kick down the tramline, and the commentator explains what tramline means. Really? He begins saying, like, yes, these are the parallel lines that run along the pitch. Uh, we refer to them because they are lines similar to those used on trams. <laughs> True, I suppose. But yeah. uh, that's one I of those that's quite that. self-explanatory, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, there was a thing on the... Uh, the... Uh, it was just after the New Year. There was the Osprey Scarlets game, and the commentator said, "Covid nineteen. Did you know they call it nineteen because it was established in twenty nineteen?" And she's like, "Yes, we did. We're three years into this damn pandemic." I was so I was in a pub the other day, and as they were closing, there was like us and one other table left, and we were kind of packing things up. We could hear the other table next was very very loud, clearly. Yeah, and there was a guy in seeming like his sixties or something telling a guy in like his twenties, the two guys at the table. He was telling us that COVID's not real, and he went like, "You can tell, right? Because it's COVID nineteen, so it's like nine. The nineteenth letter of the alphabet is like no or something." He was like, "And so the 19, and he's like, "They always do this. They always make it really clear for those of us who want to figure it out, but no one does." Remember those old Illuminati confirmed and, videos? Yeah, exactly. And his mate was just like, "Oh yeah, when you put it like that." And I was really tempted to say something at this point. Sure, uh, yeah. Because I just had a lady come over and insult me very heavily, which was lovely of her. Yeah? She just came over, sat down next to me, and started just roasting me. Uh, any any more context to that? Anything she was saying? She was... Um, I mean, I, it's all sort of slipping away, if I'm honest. She was just, you know, told me I looked dumb. Uh, she said... <laughs> She's right. Uh, she said people with... Men with beards never have ambition. That was a quote that okay. uh, Jill 
in a pub in Nottingham said to me okay. on Sunday night. Okay. I uh, said that men with beards never have ambition. And Fair was enough. she friends with Firmano Sapolo on the table next to you? <laughs> uh, I don't think they'd met. Okay. Uh, her friends had to come over and drag her out because she came and sat down next to her. <laughs> she's um, just being an arse to you. Yep. That was it. That yeah. was it. I mean, she's not wrong. Like This will all come back to me slowly over the course of the podcast now, all of Jill's comments. Yeah, yeah. Please just drip feed them. I will. I will. You can you can pretend I'm you and you're Jill at any point in the podcast. Just we'll have a safe word that means uh, that's what you're going to do. That like puts us in in the scene, sets the scene. You know. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So, should we move on to that extremely chaotic couple of minutes for John Devereux? Where he... <laughs> it was in the second I... half. We're skimming straight through. Oh, is it the second half? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I mean, sure. We're here now, we're here now. Let's do it. Uh, Because, I mean, there's a lot of red card offences that go on in this game. As I say, there are multiple times where Paul Moriarty stamps on people's heads Mm. and faces, uh, which, clear red card offence. There's a very early Phil Matthews shoulder... Both the Moriarty's do so much, I'm going to say, cannibal shit. Yeah. There is an awful lot of stamping on things. At one point, Richard Moriarty almost knocks out Paul Forburn by accident. Yes. Um, just by trying to like enter and support him in a tackle. Yeah, yeah. And he would have wiped him out. If, if he stood maybe three metres to the right, he would have knocked him out. I'm pretty sure Paul Moriarty punches, uh, I think it's Des Fitzgerald at one point. They, they bo- both Moriarty's throw a punch on somebody. Yeah. I didn't rewind it to check, but it looked like a punch yes, to me. It and was. that was good enough for me. And you know what? Knowing the reputation of the whole Moriarty family, I yeah. didn't want to check and be wrong. Sure. I wanted to know for certain they did. Yeah. In my also, head, I want them to have punched someone. Before we get on to the couple of chaotic minutes for mm. Devereaux, I want to give a, a, a minute's mention to Stuart Evans playing tight head for Wales. Mm. Because uh, I actually thought, I, I had him written down as somebody who played quite well. Because Scrum yeah. went well for Wales. And he yeah. he formed a solution to the line-outs. By which he stood at the front of the line-out. And wherever they threw it, as the ball was being thrown in, he would go to as kind of a backup for whoever the ball was being thrown to. Uh, which meant that instead of everyone flooding from the scrum off, it meant that they had a big man who could be like a link man between the guy and the, the, the mm. catcher and the scrum off, which I think is quite yeah. smart for how bad lineups are in 1987. But then there was just a point in the second half where for 10 minutes he just wanted to see how many people he could stamp on and how much he could cheat. 
and he was just cheating every single breakdown and just just trying to just hurt people and steal the ball with his hands on the floor and he was just cheating it was just it wasn't allowed the stuff he was doing and he stayed on the field and I don't know why you sound a bit like a disappointed father yeah it's just not necessary no no, I think that's entirely so, fair. That was a chaotic period for him. He played well. He also has a couple of like weirdly bulking runs. Yes, where he doesn't seem to realise his size or weight. Mm, yeah, he's a player who doesn't run his weight in the best possible way. Yeah, like, no, he runs you're spot like on. He thinks he's a skinny winger. Yeah, you are spot on, and like he had a reasonably good game. Just like mm. I don't know why he did it. I also, you mentioned the line out there, right? The Welsh line out is about as composed and consistent and accurate as any lineup we see in the competition. Yeah. Which normally a shit shoot. Yeah, yeah. Normally you win a lineup through luck. Whereas Wales look like some sort of tactics going into it. I think, and this is the only time in the history of the game this been, you've been able to say this, Wales have the best lineup we've seen in this competition. Yeah, agreed. Which is mental. They win most of their own ball and it looks like they're yeah. actually trying to do something. Like they're even winning the overthrows, which is quite a difficult skill by anyone's standard. Mm. Which like even even today in rugby you see so many overthrows going wrong. And let alone in nineteen eighty seven, the fact that they were nailing them is super impressive, so fair play. But yes, John Devereux. Do you want do you want to talk yes. about him? Uh, speaking of people getting away with things. So John Devereux was twenty one at this point. He had come in for the Six Nations. He'd won his first caps there. Really. Oh, no, he'd won his first cap the previous year. He'd won one cup the previous year, then played the Six Nations, and then came in. This was his uh, sixth cap. Yeah, okay. And he would go on to play for Wales until the Lions tour two years later, mm-hmm. uh, at which point he played one Lions test, then went to play rugby league for the rest of his career. Right. And just stuck with rugby league until coming back to play for Pontypool uh, in the in 2003 and four before retiring. Which, good on him. Yeah. But yeah, he very much, like, he was part of the going north trend and the kind of lo- Wales losing all their good players to rugby league yeah. in the 80s. So he's kind of better remembered as a rugby league player and he's still the team manager of the Welsh rugby league team. Is he? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, he's very much, and he kind of, even though at this point he'd never played rugby league, you can kind of see him as a rugby league player. There's a bit of DNA, rugby league DNA to him. Yeah. You know, he went on to play for like Great Britain and so on in rugby league. Like he was a very good player. Like. Mm-hmm. But yes, so he had a kind of he has a really good break he makes in the first half where he dummies and steps somewhat, then randomly kicks the ball like in panic instead of like not even close to the fullback. He just kicks it so that the fullback can regather it very easily. <laughs> the moment he breaks the line, yeah, yeah, and that kind of tells you an awful lot about him. Yeah, yeah. There's that tremendous dead kick that he does as well, where he's off balance mm. and he sends the ball absolute miles. Uh, which is quite impressive. But yes, he has a chaotic couple of minutes where he somehow gives away two yellow card offences in about 30 seconds. Yeah. So he... Ireland have an overlap and he flies in and slaps the ball forward in what is about the most blatant you know, penalty nowadays, most blatant deliberate knock-off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to the point at which to the commentators even discuss yeah. it. Yes. The commentators even talk about it and say, well, in Great Britain, that would probably be a penalty for a deliberate knock-on, but they don't have to play those rules in Australia and New Zealand. We had an Australian ref who was... Irish right, field. yeah. So that wasn't penalised here because he didn't play that rule in New Zealand and Australia at the time. Wow. Like, it just wasn't a rule that was used. Like, it was in the law book, but it wasn't penalised down south. Wow. I suppose, like, that is a big thing about kind of like the commercialisation of rugby and just general, yeah. like, media... Like, Globalization. Yes. You can watch it and see it penalised all over the world. Yeah. So that travels. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a really interesting thing because 
That's as as you say, like he stops a very possible try. Uh, I yeah. say I say possible rather than probable because it would have meant catching two passes. Teams weren't analysing the referee at this point. No, but if they were. All British teams would be doing that all the time with right? Australian or Kiwi refs. Wow, that is really, really interesting that that's why that wasn't given. But yeah, one minute later, Devereux makes up for it by getting back in the defensive line and doing the one of the worst high shots you see all tournament. If your tackle is being penalised as high in 1987, you've done something very wrong. Yeah, then it's probably upwards of a red card offence now. He basically grabs him by the shirt on the top of the shoulders, swings him round, jumps on his shoulders, kind of grabs onto his head, rides him like a buckaroo for about 20 seconds, then throws him at the floor. Yeah, yeah. It's a really ugly high shot, which I don't think was intentional by any means. No. But bad nonetheless. But yeah, so... I mean, this is kind of like around the point where Ireland get a couple of penalties and they go in 6-0 up at half-time, mm. which is a really thrilling half of rugby. Oh, I mean, unbelievably so. Yeah, it's I mean, it's about the 40-minute mark that the first points are kicked to make it 3-0, and then Ireland managed another one just after that because yeah. they weren't you know, having the clock off at this point. And, whew, whew. Yeah, yeah. So second half starts... And it's much of the same. From... You, I just couldn't stop thinking. I've got 40 more minutes of this. Yeah, it was really, really bad. And yeah, it was much of the same at the start of the half, where it was just Jiffy just trying really speculative things in a really strong wind. I mean, the wind was very significant. You'll see from the title of this episode that the score was 6-13 and Ireland was 6-0 up at half time. So I think the, the game was pretty much just who can score more points while you've got the wind behind your back. Yeah, I mean, there's a kick Ireland do in the second half to try and clear from their own lines, where it feels like they get pretty good contact on it, but the ball goes about two metres forward because it just goes straight up in the air and yeah. goes backwards. Yeah, it was. I mean, they really should have picked uh, Jack Carty ahead of his time. Really good in that Gale, uh, the Galway yeah. Gale. He's like yeah. the one master. And they used to say it of Ian Keatley as well, that he was brilliant at kick, kick, kicking on a low trajectory through that wind. Hey, when Dan Parks went to Connacht, that was why they signed him. Yes. He was very good at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, Jack Carter would have won this game for Ireland and any other game because he's class. To be fair, yeah, if Jack Carter had played in this game, Ireland would have won by about 50 points. Yeah, they would have. It's funny how genuinely just true that is. Although, I guess at the same time, not because Jack Carter was probably not born at this stage. But Yeah. I mean, Ken Owens was in the stadium, so it's true. You know, there's a contemporary there. Yeah, very fair. But yes, what if they fielded one of Jack Carty's dad's sperms? They could have done that. Where would he level? And they accidentally fielded Luke Carty. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the the World Rugby regulations are on sperms playing. Mm. <laughs> so I, I didn't have a punchline to that. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that you would, and then I realised I gave you a really difficult setup. It's 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 like Limmy. This can you just keep talking, please? Okay. So Paul Thorburn gets a penalty. By the way, that would have been a great opportunity to pull out one of Jill's insults on me. Uh, but Paul Thornton kicks a penalty, and Wales managed to get back to six three. And yeah, Robert Jones starts getting carried away because it's like, oh yeah, we've got points. And you know what we're saying about Fiji last week about. Oh yeah, they uh, when, when they get points on the board, their tails really go up, and that's what I got from Rob Jones because suddenly he just decided he's just going to reverse pass everything. Yeah, oh, Rob Jones really goes from the. And you know what? He was really good at it. He's really good at it. 
Rob Jones comes across as a real rugby player. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Like, like he knows how to physically play player. scrum half. Yeah. He kicks really well as well. Yeah. He only does one or two bad kicks, which is saying a lot for a scrum half in this tournament. Yes. It doesn't sound like much, but yeah. when you put it in context... Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk about the Wales' first try? Really good try out of nowhere. Yeah. Really great try out. There's literally nothing in this game that would suggest it ever be like a, a worldy, excellent, wonderful, super try. And then it happens. I, honestly, when I first saw it, like I kind of didn't notice it happened because like mm. I was so just in the mo- mode of just like seeing boring rugby. And I kind of, oh wait, that was a try. I need to like go back and like actually like yeah, get excited yeah. for this. Uh, so I had to like rewind it and physically watch it again because I just kind of missed that that happened because the rest of the game was so dull. But yeah, really great try. Like lovely handling by the washbacks. Yeah, uh, Jiffy and Hadley, both size. good offloads. Yeah. Hadley feeds it back inside to Devereaux, who then does an absolutely demented pass to Mark Ring. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you please try and explain the pass? Because I've got no idea how to do so. So he kind of, I, I think he figures out that there is a, a bit of space in the world mm. whereby if he has the balls in that position, that space, uh, he can offload it to Ring. And mm. he figures out the way to do it is by trying to hurdle the Irish fullback. And yeah, he frees up his hands. And I think demented is the best word to describe that. Yeah, it's just really unusual technique. Yeah. But yeah. We've never seen before or afterwards. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, Ring scores the try and it's suddenly like, oh, okay, so Wales are suddenly in the lead, are they? Even though it doesn't feel like they deserve it. No, it it doesn't feel like Ireland have scored any points either. That's true. I don't think either team deserves to win. Look, Wales have scored a try. Ireland have scored two penalties. They're both worth six points at this point. It feels like it's nil-nil still. Yeah, yeah. So the score goes to 7-6 and then Thorburn misses the conversion. Does he not? Yeah, he does. So at this point you think, okay, Ireland, you can get back in this. Good kickoff. If Wales exit poorly, you're back in the game, right? Mm -hmm. And Wales exit all right. They manage to get near the mm. touchline and you go, oh, Trevor Ringland, the, the, the best Leinster winger slash centre, he's underneath it. He's going to do fine. He's going to counterattack. Ireland will be back in the game. No worries. And then for some reason, Brian Spillan, mm. uh, the, number the number eight for, for Ireland, just collides into him and basically just bodies him into touch before he can catch the ball and sends the, sends the ball out. They both sort of end up dropping the ball simultaneously and Wales get a line out. It's like, okay, Ireland, don't bother trying anymore. You kind of feel there's a quite a few moments similar to that in this. Not similar in the fact that the number eight bodies their centre is about to take the ball. Yeah, they? sure. You know, but similar in that Wales start to get a real nudge in the kicking game and they use the wind far more than Ireland did in the first Yes. Half. Suddenly Jiffy is getting massive distance on his kicks. Yeah. There's one from inside zone 22 that he puts out pretty much on the opposition 22 lead yeah, line. Yeah, excellent kick. And there's a few that just like really smart kicks. He suddenly starts, him and Jones start kicking very deliberately. Yeah. Um, and looking for territory, looking to use the win. Definitely, definitely. In a way, I think Ireland probably, because they weren't doing warm-ups at this point. You know, no. they weren't. They mentioned, actually, when they say the thing about the 30-year-old props, uh, the commentator says, I've even seen, I've even seen some props doing exercises before playing. <laughs> Rather than drinking a bottle of port and uh, exactly. hoping that keeps them warm. Or maybe they've got Die the Dragon ready in the changing rooms. He can keep them warm. But I think that's it. They saw them putting a leak in the ground. 
It would it would have been funny if that was one of the, how one of the players warmed up is by planting a leak before the game. It's like that's that, that's just, no, that's not a kid. That's one of your wingers, pal. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so there's a point where Kevin Phillips nearly scores a try, but yeah. for what is sadly a very clear forward pass and a good decision but from the referee. The thing is, no, so it's given as a forward pass and it is a forward pass. But right before it, Richard Moriarty knocks it on in an even more blatant he, he, moment. He and does. Missed. Yeah. Like, you should have called it back for the really blatant knock-on rather than the pretty blatant forward pass. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not complaining about getting there in the end. But I enjoyed Moriarty's little kind of dribble along the floor of the ball and then picking yeah, it up and he, passing to somebody who was running onto it with a bit more pace than like he was. He, I enjoyed that. He kind of knocks the ball from... Like he's from one hand, the first backhand, to the front hand in front so he can pick it up smoother. Yeah, yeah. And it's like... You can't do that, yeah. Richard. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you that you can't do sure. that. Sure. You can't. But sadly, you were made for punching people. But yeah, that try gets disallowed. Ireland try to exit. And then what should happen? But like a ball just kind of spills out of a ruck. And Wales go, right, turn over ball. Let's play. And Jiffy goes, no. Jiffy goes, three points, please. Even though they had a clear overlap. And probably, overlap. probably would have scored a try. If, if he did anything Jiffy, else, but... If Jiffy was commentating on this game, he would have absolutely lost his shit. There's so there many so times... so many moments <laughs> where, where you know that th- Jonathan Davis would have absolutely lost his shit at Jonathan Davis. You know that three-on-two where he just passes the ball behind his man uh, and he has yeah. no idea how to execute it? And he, he almost passes into touch, but Yian Evans recovers it really well. Mm. And again, like him just randomly kicking the ball for no reason. There's so many moments where we really lost a shit, man. And yet, towards the end of the game, the commentator says, and that's just another moment in the perfect game from Jonathan Davis. How? How is it perfect? I mean, he had, he had a lot of good moments, right? And like, yeah. this drop kick was a really good strike. And he took it really, really well. Because when he went for it, there was a part of me cynically hoping he would miss it. Because it's the way of teaching him that's not the time to go for a drop goal. Well, he got charged down on one of the first half. Oh my God, that was a horrific... um, But it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. Like, the decision to go for it at that time wasn't so bad. But the actual execution of the drop goal and when he called for the ball and so on was horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, really confusing game from Jiffy. There's also, speaking of confusing, there's a point where Hugo McNeil catches the ball from fullback and does the most confusing kick I have ever seen. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Uh, I probably remember it. So he runs the ball slightly out from his 22, uh, Mm. having caught it on a kick return. Yes. And for some reason, with the defence maybe about... 20 metres still away away from him as he's counter-attacking. He just grubbers the ball pretty much sideways into touch. Uh, so, like, so it doesn't even reach where the defensive line is that is coming to, near at, him. At this moment, the commentator is saying, you know what they say of McNeil? He might not be the fastest fullback in Britain, but he's almost certainly the safest. And yet he does that. He And yet he does that. I physically cannot explain and he is a Dublinese fullback called Hugo, who is very safe under the high ball. And he's kind of going, okay, I see where this is. I, I've seen a sequel to this. I've seen like the, the 21st century remake of this, the remaster. But yeah, he was he was notorious for being like, incredibly good under the high ball, incredibly safe at the back, but clearly a coward. Yes, 
Yes. Like, I don't know if you looked up and saw both Moriarty's running in it. That is the only explanation for the kick he did. The, as I said, it pretty much, he pretty much did it sideways, and it looked deliberate. Like, his technique was good for going... For, like, if you were in training, and he was good mm. doing that grubber kick to a mate, his technique was quite good. It was clearly, very clearly by sure, design. He sure. didn't slice the kick or anything. He made a choice to kick it just directly out when the defence weren't even... Like, it's even less understandable than the, t- the many times in this World Cup where instead of picking the ball up and trying to play it, t- players just k- hack it out because they're yeah, under a yeah, bit yeah. of pressure. Like the, the, the opposition players are physically nowhere near him. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's embarrassing almost. It is, yeah. Watching back, like, not just for McNeil, but for... Irish fans, yeah, yeah, sitting there going, "Oh, that was a that was a, like a really solid our first fullback. choice fullback in the World Cup." Yeah, it's. I mean, that was our John Snow. Genuinely, the most confusing kick I've ever seen. It's just bad. Yeah, just bad. Yeah. Then there's so the Michael Bradley moment, which is really really funny. I really enjoyed it because Ireland have the ball like about three meters out from their own try line, and Michael Bradley picks the ball up, thinking, "Right, I'm going to boot this out or something." And then he's under a bit of pressure. So he starts to attempt this proper, like, a Morosino-esque escape from his line where, yes. you know, he faints a step one way running backwards, then goes the other way, then the other one, the other one. And there was a massive in-goal area at this point, so he, he just kept going until he was reaching literally his own dead ball line and accepts his fate that he's not even going to be able to get a kick away without getting either charged down or it going, you know, along the floor or whatever. And he just goes, right, I've had enough, and just puts the ball down for the five-meter scrum. And it was just one of those moments of somebody going from 100 to zero in the matter of seconds of, like, I'm going to do the best spiral kick you'll ever see down to, yeah, you can have the five-meter scrum. Speaking of people going, I'm going to do the best kick you'll ever see, uh, Paul Forborn attempts two kicks from his own half. And tell you what, super boot. He ain't. Yeah. Um, there's one he goes from his own half because he has the wind behind him, and it. And I'm not. Ju- I'm not. I'm not exaggerating this. Lands on that little marker showing the 50 meter line, five meters out from the try line. That's where the ball lands. It, yeah, it, it, it lands in the 15 meter channel. I noted this down. It's it's yeah. like horrifically wide. Well. I, I think it just crosses the 22 as well. Uh, by no, the time no, it lands, it, land, it lands about five meters out. Oh, okay, okay. But by the time so the ball actually hits bad. the ground, like it is dipped below the cross. Yeah. About 22, but like it flies, it's got like quite a long like glide on it, you know, like a paper plane. Sure, like a yeah, paper plane gets a good like before it's the ground. It's it's very funny, like how like horrifically he sprays that. Yes, yeah. Also, so I, I recently had a message conversing with friend of the pod, Jamie Wall, who was actually on next mm. week's episode, uh, yes. as a little precursor to that, saying, uh, also, I hope Superboot knows as a podcast that has like three hours devoted to talking about him. Uh, and I just thought, yeah, it is funny to think that there's just a member of the, the Suva police just cutting about Fiji who doesn't know he's getting eulogized about on the other side of the world about shit he did. 40 years ago which I just think he's is great super yeah he's, he's super boot he must know that he's pretty super boot and look he's he's just going to get a, a weekly uh, segment of this podcast now is is all super boot super boot of course we're going to talk about him Paul Forborn could only dream he could only dream of being bloody super boot yeah the greatest rugby player what a belt he gave it but he's not literally called super boot legally well, you know what? Superboot could confiscate that belt off him because he's a policeman. Officer. That's very so true. So your move, Paul Forburn. Yeah, Paul Forburn, who is listening. 
We'll see if you do anything in the last game of this tournament. Penultimate game, your la- your last game. That we'll see if you do anything against Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doubt he will because doubt pff, it. That guy, he only had one moment in him, didn't he? Anyway, I barely wrote anything down in the second half because I was just very bored and wanted it to be over. We can more but or less general, wrap this up. The general story of it is the first half is just dog shit, and <laughs> Ireland is trying to play quite interesting rugby. Yeah, but they're doing it incredibly badly. Yeah. The second half, where they've seen what kind of game it is, and now that they've got the wins, they start kicking everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's far more effective. So Jiffy kicks two drop goals. He kicks a second drop goal, has... and the, the second the second one was the right decision, I think. Yeah, both of them. He has so much time on. Yeah, Ireland should not be giving him that much time to. I sound like their coach in nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, they should not be giving him that much time. Yeah, their lineup goes really well for Wales as well, which I think is interesting. Paul yeah, Thorburn narrowly know, misses it's... one kick that goes just beneath the crossbar from fifty meters. Yes, which was unlucky. Which, fair play to him. He actually, you know. Feels like he could maybe lick the non-super boot of super boot yes. at that point, but only lick it. Yeah, know? yeah. Not actually like couldn't like dine out, suck on it. his boot. Yeah, no. Uh, there's a big fight as well. Um, oh yeah, that's obviously fun. both the Moriartys are involved. Yeah, right at the end. Look, it is fun watching both the Moriartys here. Oh, it is. It's like you look at Ross Moriarty and you go, "That man is very hard, and he is very unlucky that they have TMOs now." Yes. Oh, he must hate that and because, so, like, he yeah. if he played twenty minutes twenty minutes ago, twenty years ago, he would be so much harder. Which he he already be, is nails. He would be a better player twenty years ago than he is now. Yeah, bizarrely, you're right. If he came through the size and build and everything he is, yeah. which obviously is helped by being a professional athlete, absolutely, yeah. which these players weren't. But because he is every bit as hard and angry as his dad and his uncle. But he is physically bigger and scarier. Yeah. And he's quick as well. Yes. In the way the other two were. Yeah. Like he's got, he's not rapid, but he's got a sort of turn of pace on him in the way these were like very typical amateur era forwards. Yes. The Moriarty brothers. Yeah. But like, if there's a real joy in seeing exactly the player Ross Moriarty would be if he'd been born those 20 years earlier. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I, he... I am convinced that he is the, basically the same player as his dad. Yeah, and I know I talked about how all of England's pack were just massive pricks, mm. and that was all they had going for them. Yeah, there, I did quite enjoy, and maybe it's a bias thing, but I did enjoy watching Rich and Paul Moriarty's being, no pun intended, dicks. Yes, yes, they really, really are. I think that brings on to more dicks yes. of the day and mans of the match. Which one do you want to start? Let's, let's start dick of the day, shall we? Okay, sure. Any thoughts? I mean, Michael Bradley, you mentioned uh, Hugo McNeil. I hadn't thought about that kick as a dick of the day contender, but it's a very pretty good, bad. Very, very good shout on that. Um, John Devereaux for having t- two minutes of utter, utter Gareth Davis level not having a brain. But, right, as I was watching this first half, it became very clear. To, wait, it became very clear to me by about 50 odd minutes who my man in the match and dick of the day were. Okay. Right? So if you don't mind, I'm going to jump man of the match. For oh, me. go on then. Yeah, do that. Because my man of the match for this game is the wind. <laughs> okay, okay. Normally, this... on any other occasion, I would say that's a cop-out. But on this game, I think you're entirely justified. This game is entirely won by the wind. Yes. Right? And Wales win it because they've got used to the wind before they had it on their side. Yes. And that is the only reason Wales win. In a sense, the... uh, Dick Moriarty's the, the captain for winning the toss. No, the, the man of the That's match. a good shout. Yeah. That's a good shout. 
I think there's probably worth mentions for both Welsh halfbacks and Bob Norster for actually winning lineouts, which is really novel. But I don't feel like I want to because I do think the deciding factor in this game that the Bro, thing that won this game was give the it wind. to the wind. So <laughs> to me, it is yep, uh, candles to the wind. <laughs> no, the wind is the man of the match. And that's look. great. I'd say usually I'd be like, do you remember there was that game, that Fiji Samoa game in 2011 where you were like, the man of the match is the crowd. And I was like, bro, think of somebody. But I think it in this, probably in this whole World Cup, frankly, I just think it's <laughs> fine. Like, give it to whatever you want. Like, not even whoever, just whatever you want. Oh, 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 oh there's another man of the match contender though, Go on. right? Another real man of the match contender. Did you notice the other pitch invader? No. So the two pitch invaders, one is the guy that puts the leak in the middle of the pitch. Yeah. The other is a Welsh fan who runs on whilst Paul Forborn and one of the Irish players, I think it's Philip Matthews actually, Philip Matthews okay. is down. Both of them are down injured. He runs onto the pitch, does the like waving his arms around and everything, then goes over to check on Paul Forborn to see if he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. He's like doing that, that he has a moment of going like, oh shit, if I come on at a really bad time, <laughs> goes over to check if he's okay, then runs off the pitch. I don't know if he gets escorted off something and then disappears from the pitch. That's so funny. But, I, didn't, I didn't clock that. But I, I'm tempted to give him man of the match in like a, in a what a guy kind of way. I reckon you get two man of the match votes if it's him and the wind. No, I'm giving it to the wind. I'm okay, the fair wind. enough. The, the, yeah, okay. The wind had a greater impact over the 80 minutes. So your I dick of the day? so. So, I mean, it's, look, it's fairly obvious, isn't it? The, this game was incredibly boring, and I feel we did quite a good job of only picking up moments that were vaguely interesting. Yeah. I made it sound like an actual game, but it's a really dull game. Yeah. And we all know who's directly to blame for that. So my dick of the day is the players. <laughs> so it's the wind against the players. Yeah. I hate how correct you are. <laughs> oh man! So dick of the day, I just did not think of that as a as an option. But you you are <laughs> right. Like I had written down Spillan for for decking his own fallback. <laughs> yes, I wrote down Jiffy just because I got frustrated with him. Did he not ant his own fallback as well? Oh, good callback. That was very good. Thank probably, you. but a strong contender for me was. Paul Moriarty, because he is nails, right? Like, mm. he he is, like, mentally hard as. He's terrible at punching. Like, he he misses two punches on other players. Really? Yeah, where he attempts it and he doesn't connect. As I said, I didn't want to check back on that. Yeah. I wanted to know that they connected and the other person was never seen again. No, they, he, he missed on both of them and it's just... Like, wow. it's really upsetting. Do you think maybe instead he punched their soul? Yeah, I guess so. Or maybe one of those like deliberate misses so he doesn't get sent off, but he's like, but this is what I could do to you if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But I guess I guess the dick of the day, just, just to put him on the podium, is the guy with the leak. Okay. Okay. I'm adding the guy with the leak rather than Ken Owens? Yes. Man of the match is difficult because if we're truthful, nobody really played well. Other than the wind. If we really drag our standards down to this level of this game, mm. as I say, Stuart Evans was all right. Sure. Paul Dean was all right, even if dodgy. Die the Dragon, again, did a great job of popping that, yeah, that leak up. As I say, I think, there was, I think there was moments of John Devereux playing all right. But... <laughs> the thing is, sorry, you saying 
Like the dragon popping that leak up is as legitimate a claim to man of the match as whoever actually gets it from you. Yeah. But that is as fair. Yeah. He has made I mean, like, look, Jiffy knocks over two drop goals. That means die if the die the dragon had made one more contribution, <laughs> he would have been in real contention. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, but yeah, uh, the him, as I say, uh Devereaux had a couple of moments and I enjoyed the Moriarty brothers. But mm. I'm going to give Man of the Match to the dog from the first game. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's entirely fair. Fabio. Yeah. Fabio the dog notches up his third Man of the Match nomination, which puts him past Superboot <laughs> as Man of the Tournament so far. Look, I just I just didn't know who else I could give it to. Of course it's Fabio the dog. Yeah. The memories we have of Fabio the dog are better than anything we saw in this game. <laughs> exactly. I spent so much of this time like hoping he would appear that I think visually I had his his him in my head the whole time. So he's man of the match. Fuck yeah. Why hasn't Fabio come back? Yeah, he will. He will come back. I reckon. Can we have Fabio? Please? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like shit. Just want Fabio the dog back. So yeah, I uh, he's he's man of the match again. Okay. We got through it. We did it. We did it. We made it. Just about. Thank you. That's that's um, fine-ish. Yeah. I mean, obviously, look, these two teams are playing tomorrow, uh, during which time they're intending to play better rugby than this, but we'll find out <laughs> You hope so, yeah. Look, we'll see how that goes. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Good luck. I hope you enjoyed the game if you're listening after that. Yeah. And uh, who do you think's going to win between Ireland and Wales? I think the true winner will be rugby. Uh, I think it's Wales 13 6 uh, in 1987. Got him! Uh, join us next week when the game we'll be covering will be New Zealand 74, Fiji 13, where we'll be joined by Jamie Wall, previous friend of the pod, previous excellent guest on the previous series of the podcast, and a special bonus guest who you'll come across as that episode rolls on. Of course. Uh, and, and of course, there will be a lot of Superboot content. So much Superboot content, man. So much Superboot. None of this bloody Paul Ford one. Who Ugh. wants that? Yeah. We know what we want. We know what we want. Superboot. We want Coro Dua Dua. Oh, guy. We want bloody Superboot. Yeah. But yes. Of course we want it. It's Superboot. Yes. Happy Sixmas, everybody. And Happy Sixmas. We will see you Enjoy probably lots in the next few weeks. The real rugby. We'll be back with more of this fake rugby from days gone by next week. We'll see you then. Good night. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.